Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hello. Hi, Dave. Hi. How are you? I'm all right. Yes. Everyone good? All good. Yeah. Good. Everyone everyone okay? How, How are your marriages? Good. Well, yeah, I was actually going to say. I actually, have an exclusive marriage. Oh, the marriage is it's over. over. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Who's going to come? To, who's going to take your place, Paolo Fonseca? <laughs> Think Paolo Fonseca. He's a good attacking husband, which oh. is quite popular these days. But I don't know. I'm tempted to bring in someone who can shore up the marriage, but I'm not sure. It's difficult yeah. these days. Gagan Press is very fashionable at the moment. <laughs> yeah. All the new, all the new husbands. Well, your modern husband very much likes to press, and I'm not a pressing husband. I'm more like counter press. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you're you're sort of like the um, the Nigel Adkins of. <laughs> I mean, that was that was in our wedding verse. <laughs> Dave, were you, what were you going to say? Any exclusives on your marriage? Well, no, but I was going to say that I was going to come down to London on the the 29th of November. But then the company I work for pulled out of letting me have a hotel paid for, and I'm paying for it myself. So, sorry, boys. Bangos a, ben- a night out in the Bengal village. Stay at mine if you want. If work will pay you travel. That's a thing. Well, yeah. that's we'll a talk about it after the podcast. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get into <laughs> let's, the Hang on, let's work out the logistics here. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, you can't stay at mine, Dave. <laughs> we don't have room. Um, so... Uh, we've got a, a few things as usual as has become customary with the Newcastle Natter compared with two years of almost nothing to talk about we've, we've got plenty um, as it stands since the last podcast uh, we've had uh, a draw against Palace and uh, a victory against Chelsea so we should chat about them a little and it looks like a, we might a be victory tight. against Chelsea? A loss against Chelsea. But in, <laughs> it was a loss. It was against, a moral victory. Yeah. It was a victory for Chelsea. 
Did you? I don't. I don't. That's so weird that you didn't understand what I was trying to get at. We've had a victory against Chelsea and a victory <laughs> with Chelsea's. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of poetic with language. <laughs> so we can talk about those two games. Right. Both of them are just laughing now because it's falling apart. We can talk about those two games. We can talk about the fact that it looks like imminently we do actually have a new manager coming in. And we can uh, talk about. Uh, what you've got to say on social media. Let's start with the two games. Let's start start with what is what will hope, hopefully be termed as Graham Jones's era. We've had a year of just let Graham Jones take over. Everything that's good has happened is because of Graham Jones. Um, Paul, any reflections on the Graham Jones era? It felt or feels a lot like the Steve Bruce era in terms of bizarre team selections and players out of position, which makes you wonder a little bit how much of the weird selections in the Steve Bruce era were down to Steve Bruce and how many were down to Graham Jones. It's not been a great... I mean, we've deserved to lose both games. I don't know how we got a point against Palace because they battered us. I'm not going to be sad to see the end of the Graham Jones era, but then I don't think any of us expected him to be a great manager because he's previously been a pretty unsuccessful League One manager, but his reputation is all about being a very, very good coach. It would be unfair to expect him to suddenly turn things around in any big way, wouldn't it, Dave? Yeah, I think think that's what I was going to touch on. Like, I, I don't think Graham Jones had anything to do with the selection while Steve Bruce was the head coach. I think that, that would be that would be insane. I think the the choices that he's made um playing a few players out of position I think is born out of a, a desire to play in a certain way that means that he can't select them. Like there was something um he was asked about why he wasn't playing Fernandez and he said well because if you're winning you you don't swap out centre-half and if you're losing you don't bring on Federico Fernandez. so that's why I didn't have him on the bench why just so I yeah. understand why, why don't you bring him in well because Federico Fernandez isn't the kind of um, if, if you're winning a game you no I understand why you wouldn't bring him on as a sub why mm-hmm. wouldn't you start Fernandez or <laughs> see that's that's something that's that's interesting to me because I I don't know why you would pick why you wouldn't pick Fernandez when he's been so good it could be something to do with um, the way Graham Jones wants that back forward play and he prefers somebody else I don't know back but... five against Chelsea wasn't it and Palace yeah I think the problem as well Sorry, back line we... but yeah yeah like in terms of our best centre backs. Lascelles, Clark, and Emil Kraft, considering we've always considered we've got quite good depth in that position, it's probably the the worst combination you could pick based on what we've got. I get the logic mm. of having Emil Kraft if we're trying to play a higher line and you need someone with pace at the back, but both games have been kind of like the Alamo. So speed isn't a mm. problem. So why Fernandez isn't getting in there? And even Fabian Scher, I kind of think, is a tricky one because the less he plays, the more in people's heads he's suddenly a world-beating centre-back. But I would say on form, I would rather have him than Kieran Clark in. Yeah. I think, I think I'd also say that... 
Go on. I was just going to say that um, I mean, we'll, we can talk about it a bit, but the, the Chelsea game, I thought for like 65 minutes, I thought we were solid. I thought, yes, we were defensive and, and playing quite deep, but I thought we were quite solid. I think we restricted them quite well, but this is a Thomas Tuchel coached Chelsea side filled with the high quality players. Um, so I thought, you know, if if we could have, because it looked like we were about to make some more attacking substitutions when they scored their first and then their second came shortly after and then the, the third was like the cherry on the cake kind of thing. I, I, we were never going to beat Chelsea, so I'm not that bothered. And I don't I think it, we, um, it was, it's, it's no surprise that we lost 3-0. Or did we beat them 3-0? I can't remember which one. <laughs> no, we, we won a 3-0 defeat. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's no surprise that we lost 3-0 to Chelsea considering our respective mm. squads and form. But uh, I think what no one could disagree with, and I'm not blaming Graham Jones for this specifically, is nothing has changed. Yeah. Really, it would seem. I think both those games, Palace game was slightly tight, but really we deserve to lose. But I don't think you look at the Chelsea and the Spurs games and think there's much improvement between there. Not that you'd necessarily expect immediate improvement. And we'll talk about who might be the next manager and, and what we think might happen after the break. But um, it's, it sort of underlines how it, it's, it's a really big job, isn't it? Just in the short term to turn things around and... and, and I don't know if it is that big a job. If you look at our form at the end of last season... And I think if you play a system that fits our players, it's not that difficult. We had over £100 million worth of players on the bench, so we can't no, keep moaning amazing, about our lack it? of depth. I think one thing to, to consider is that there is still plenty of the season left to play, and we'd need, uh, we'd need about 34, 34, 38 points to get around about you know the the safety marks that we were getting in the last in the previous four seasons, and that's only a one point two points per game return. And even Steve Bruce was getting one point one six, one point one eight. So I, I I think a better manager with this squad plus the January um, additions comfortably get one point two points per game in the in the for the rest of the season. Well, we'll see that. I guess we'll see on that. But that is before we go for a break. That is sort of amazing, isn't it? How when you think about how we see ourselves as being underinvested in over the years, how much money was on that bench for us? But was, I think compare that to how much money was on the pitch is probably not that much difference. Yeah, Craft if- Mankio. <laughs> Like Fernandez, Matt Ritchie, yeah. but it, it underlines stuff. Hayden it underlines not one of the ways in which, as a club, we failed so much in the last few years is recruitment. Right? We've got we've got players, yeah, who have been in that squad for a long time and are clearly <laughs> past their peak, and we're in the championship and have just been retained because it's too cheap to come up with a replacement and then when we have spent money it's on Joe Linton's the big one but then Almiron 
it'd be interesting to see if the next manager can can make that signing work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like the, the younger players that we picked up, like uh, Lewis, and at the time, Lascelles and Darlow were young kids when we signed them. We spent like, what was it, seven million on, on each of them? And because there's been no investment in the coaching, the training, any of that side of things, they haven't progressed as much as possibly they could have. Because, I mean, there were times when we were talking about Jamal LaSalle for the England England side. And now, I would argue that he's one of our worst centre-halves because he's not been developed, because he's had, you know, pretty average to poor managers, uh, pretty average to poor um, coaching throughout his career here. But I think as well, sometimes players just have a purple patch when they're young and then don't... Oh, sure. It doesn't come on. The problem with us is once the players had that run of form of like five games, we give them a six-year contract and don't sign replacements. You can sort of see it with Sean Longstaff, who I hope refines his form, but you kind of think he's occupying that squad space now because of half a good season under Rafa. And I also him and Lascelles, that, neither of them are doing anything to show that they're worthy of starting in the Premier League. I think you've got to put like a, an asterisk next to the, the the squad and say that for a lot of them, a good manager might get far, far better than, than yeah. what we've seen so far because Sean Longstaff, Almiron, um, Matty Longstaff, I know he's not at the club, but all of these players have performed at a far higher standard than they are right now. And even players like Joe Linton, I'm not saying he definitely will yeah. be, but it, there might be. There might be a player in there. there Matty Longstaff, be, though, can't he's... even get a game in the SPL. Hmm. Uh, Joe, Linton, Joe Linton's been one of our better players this season, which isn't saying much. I think Jamal Lascelles, I think all the signs of the underwhelming, I would say, championship centre-back that he is, were there under Rafa as well, I think. And that's not, I'm not mm. blaming Rafa for that. I, th- I mm. don't think he was a good centre-back under Rafa. I associated him with being overrated. Well, I think a lot of the mm. reason we've played three centre-backs is because we've not really had complete enough centre-backs to play two. We'll see yeah. what. Why don't we? Why don't we um, have a break now, and then we will talk uh, more about our squad and where that squad might go under new management after the break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct. Something that's less Mr. Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. Good break, guys. 
yeah, I found out that um, that uh, somewhere's got the most pubs per square mile, and, and Paul's going to tell us right now. Go, Portsmouth. Portsmouth. There you go. That argument's been settled forever. We were debating that during the break. <laughs> we won't inflict it onto the show any longer. Um, I've got a question from Andy Sheldon here on Twitter. He says, is Emery the right bloke for a relegation battle? I should say, at the time of recording, uh, Unai Emery has not been confirmed as manager. May, he may well not be confirmed as manager, but it's a be- debate we might as well have in the light of other managers we've been linked with as well. Is Emery the right bloke for a relegation battle? And will he be allowed to bring in loads of players in with the potential of playing in the championship next year still a real possibility? A couple of good questions there. Dave, you got some thoughts? Yeah, there's there's a couple of things there that a good manager is a good manager and Emery is a good manager. He's sticking in a, a squad like ours you can get the one one point two points per game that we need to get out of this mess. Um, I think all of the managers that we've been linked with are a certain strata of manager that, yeah, they could come in. We don't need like a relegation, like a survival specialist. A couple of reasons for that is, like I say, we can attract a really good manager and that'll be enough to get us out. And also, if you were to employ someone like Sam Allardyce, you'd have to give him like a year contract and he'd want to bring in players that he knew would be able to live, to deliver survival, which would be for Sam Allardyce, big lumps. And then you'd have to get rid of them because they're not the kind of players that you'd likely want to take you further up the league. The other thing is relegations that with the amount of money that the Saudis have available to throw at us, relegation would put us a year back on the plan and that's it so it's not it's not a massive deal if we go down like it sounds bizarre to say it but it it delays it by a year and that's all i would say that i can see the logic in that i would say it puts the plan back further because yeah i see your point yeah because because in terms of recruitment yes we've got loads of money but you sign a player now, you're asking them, even if you guarantee that they're going to survive relegation or they can get out, if we, don't, if we get relegated, they've got a release clause or whatever, they can get out easily. You're, saying to, you're asking that player to not play in Europe for a season or two, at least. Yeah, but we're not... If, we, if, you, if, if you throw in a year in the championship there, you're delaying recruiting top half of the Premier League players, potentially. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 the only thing I would say to that is that um, the, the kind of players that we would be looking at this season, I would assume, would be like experienced Premier League players or Premier top Premier like experienced at that level, be whatever league they come from. If we were to go down, I think it would be like a clear the decks, get young players on the fringes of the top teams who aren't going to be playing in Europe or in the league. They're going to be farmed out on loan somewhere and picking up players from around about from Europe and just getting promoted with essentially cheating football manager. Um, You could still attract players who are comfortably mid-table in the Premier League because you can just throw money at them and say, if we don't go up, you get a release clause if you don't and all the rest of it. The, the the point I want to end on is 
I don't think we're going down, so I don't think it's it's something that we need to worry about. Paul, you got any thoughts? I still, I kind of agree with Dave in that it just puts everything back a bit, whether it's a year or more than that. I don't think, I think us going down to the championship so before would be quite funny and <laughs> yeah. kind of, I think it would, it wouldn't delay the project in terms of infrastructure of the club and the youth system and all of that needs to happen anyway. In a way, you could kind of come into the Premier League with a lot more momentum, but I'm kind of with Dave. I think if we do get Emery, which seems to be being touted as increasingly likely, then I think we will stay up. I'll make the case against Emery based on very little, or at least for shouldn't we be getting in a relegation specialist and there's been a lot of like chat over the idea that managers who manage relegation sides in relegation battles are inherently worse managers and the 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 better the manager you get the better it is and i can see the logic in that but the, the opposing argument to that would be that some managers are used to working with a certain quality of player, yeah, you know, uh, playing, uh, uh, managing top players who are able to take on your instructions at a different standard and are able to take on sort of more advanced tactics. And Emery, uh, from the little that I understand of his time at Arsenal, for example, and obviously I haven't watched a lot of his football in Europe, I know that he is very respected and is really rated but he has like very specific you know that in that way that when Klopp arrived at Liverpool it takes away a while for those sort of tactics to bed in and not only is that the case but we've also got like we don't have a very good squad I don't think I think a few things on that I don't think Emery has the sort of pure inflexible footballing philosophy of someone like a Klopp or Guardiola. Right. It's like it has to be played my way. And if you look at what he's done in Spain, a lot of that has been with mid to lower level failed Premier League players like Nzonzi, that type of level. So I don't think there is, I don't think he'll come into our squad and be like, I don't know how to get my tactical ideas across to these basic players he's worked with that level of player most of his career even at Arsenal a lot of his work was with players like Willock and the kids that he brought through Mm. and on the the thing about whether you need a relegation specialist just means a manager whose level is somewhere between 15th and 17th in the Premier League I think you don't get I think you don't get top-level managers who can't do it in a relegation battle. The reason that's never happened, you never had a top manager get relegated that I can think of, is because they're too good for that. I think it. Well, yeah, but that was a late, late addition. Up, I didn't hear that. Who did you say? Benitez. Benitez. Yeah. But, I but yeah, think that was eight Brian Clough. But I think if you're it's overcomplicating the issue and saying there's these certain types of managerial appointment. Basically, it comes down to like, if you're a good manager, you will improve teams. Like Favre, who we were linked with, 
you wouldn't call him a top manager cause, just because he was at Dortmund. Because when he took over, was it Munchen Gladbach? They were in the relegation zone and he took them up. They, a good manager will improve players wherever they are. I don't think you get... If you stuck Conte at Burnley, they would do better than Burnley are doing now and they wouldn't get relegated because he's a better manager than Deitch. I think it's it's a much more simple issue. I don't know enough to be able to assess like Emery and his suitability for certain jobs. And like the idea that we're going to, from a, a manager with the reputation of Steve Bruce to a manager with the reputation of Emery definitely feels like an upgrade. And I'm pleased with that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I've, I've got no, like, I'm not complaining about the idea that we might get Emery. I just, uh, you know, I also, I think it is true. It's not just that you have a sliding scale of how good a manager is and and they will automatically do, a, a better manager will automatically do better than a worse manager. I think there is, a, certain managers are suitable to more, to different... Perhaps. I think it's not just about I mean, the manager, but I think the reason, a lot of the reason for Emery's failure at Arsenal was following Wenger, following a manager who had control of every aspect of the club. So there wasn't that infrastructure there to kind of protect him. It was, mm. so you're going into, it's like a, an auteur director getting sacked from a film and you're going in to replace them. Like you suddenly have to have control of absolutely every aspect. I don't think it's the job to judge him on when, Really, the, his performance as Arsenal manager is the least relevant to us. His ones in Spain of improving teams seem more relevant. So tell me I about Spain. Also... I associate him with, with like doing really well in the Euro- Europa League. That's for some reason he seems to have done. Yeah, have, have an unbelievable record in that particular competition. But beyond that, can anybody tell me? And I'm not being sceptical here. What is what has he achieved? Outside of uh, outside of England, and what kind of football is he associated with? Well, I can talk more about his football because um, he is more akin to the easiest comparison is Rafa Benitez. They are both like detail orientated coaches, really, really diving down into the forensics of of the teams. When you watch. When you watch Benitez when he was in charge of us, he was constantly on the sidelines, patrolling the area, barking instructions, telling them like like making tiny adjustments to the way we were playing to get the best out of a limited squad. And Emery does the same at the higher standard of, of player than Benitez had here. We he plays pragmatic. It is it is not the 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 um, guts and glory Fonseca type um, high press a lot of attacking football, a lot of attacking intent. It's much more controlled. And I think you're going to find it boring if he if he is the manager. I think a lot of the Newcastle fans are going to find it a bit boring because it's more like Benitez. That's the way he plays. But that way delivers you a great deal of success up to a point. And that's why he's been so successful in the in Europa League and getting teams who aren't perhaps, you know, massive into that area, into that level of that that level of competition, and then not being able to go much further. Because once you get to that level, 
the, the then you get then you're mixing it up with Klopp, Guardiola, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And the style that Emery's used to, which is like I say, predominantly pragmatic, it doesn't get you over the finish line for those well, for those. For the situation that we're in, we're not looking for the manager who's going to win the Champions League. No, absolutely. So I think the situation this is, this that we're in, really I, find that, yeah. I, find, I find that an appealing argument. You brought up Paolo Fonseca there, who, and who knows, you know, which sources are credible, but a couple of weeks ago, he was the favourite for the job. How bad is Paolo Fonseca at job interviews? <laughs> is there a, because apparently he was so close to the Spurs job and messed it up in a job interview. Apparently, I think he did definitely talk to decision makers at our club, and it appears that he's messed that up. Have, any theories on what he's doing in job interviews, Paolo Fonseca? Do we do we need to sit him down with a recruitment expert? I think yeah, I think he needs he needs some careers advice and just to do some practice interviews. Maybe it's just, just got a really bad CV. Maybe it's like eight pages. When I was I think he, when I was he's still walking around with this like you know the the um record of achievement that you got yeah, in six form. Yeah. He's still walking around, like that leather bound one, he's still walking around with that. Well when I was 16, 17, I went for a job interview for a, a chicken shop in town, not one of the major brands. And Hipster. Uh, yeah. And uh, it was something like Dick, I think it was Dixie Fried Chicken or something. Yeah. And, and they and in the interview, they asked, they said, we're a very social group. And we're, even when we're not working, we like to hang out at the chicken shop. Do, do, do you think you'd be up for doing that? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> no. I wonder if he'd read up. I wonder if he'd read up on the ownership, walked into his interview, necked a pint and vomited into a fireplace. <laughs> thinking this will win them over (laughs) in in all seriousness um, the the rumours about the Spurs there are two conflicting rumours one was that he was wanting more control of the transfers and Levy wasn't going to give it to him and the other one was he was demanding a lot more money um, to to compensate for the fact that he'll be taxed so high in England it could be exactly the same issues at yeah. Newcastle. I think the one thing we need to show about all these managers linked with the job is do they have daughters? Because that's going <laughs> to... Team selection is going to hinge around which players are shaking the manager's daughter. That's a, a long-running joke on this podcast. Um, download previous episodes to see if you can find it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, he was asking there about Squad. I mean, what? Can, I mean, we've got one here from Jordi Ash. He says we desperately need a new left back unless Lewis regains his confidence under a proper manager. Who would you realistically target to help improve that position? To be fair, I could have asked this question about right back or centre back or centre midfield or striker. So that brings us on to let's assume Emery's coming in, or I mean, sh- surely within the next week we will make the appointment. Uh, of someone and they're gonna look at our squad and soon enough they're gonna say please can I have some new players um, 
who might those players be? Any ideas? I mean, it's really difficult to to say because you know I don't have Y Scout. Uh, I can't I can't search for players based on certain criteria where they can. What I would say is that from the Premier League, when which players would would I pick from the Premier League that I think would be a good addition? Tarek Lamptey from Brighton. I think he's a right back. I think he's certainly better than Kraft, Mankio and all the rest of him. He's young. Absolutely destroyed us last season. He did. He absolutely did. Loads of energy, gets up and down, good final ball. That's that's the kind of player. Has he been good this year? I haven't heard much about it. He's been injured a lot of it, hasn't he? Mm. I think he's only just coming back. But it's the kind of it's the kind of transfer where if we were to be able to afford to throw enough money at it at Brighton and it, it will force them into making a gamble about a replacement for him and strengthen us at the same time. Now they could go off and sign another good player. I don't know, but it, it kind of, it, it's disruptive in exactly the same way as taking Tarkovsky off Burnley. It weakens them and strengthens us. And yes, they might get a bit of money, but it's a, every, every player is a gamble. So I think there's there's a few things aligning for us in why it's a good time to be us in the transfer market going into this Christmas. It's normally a bad time to be signing players, but there's because of the financial state of a lot of clubs in Europe, or like the entire French league, there are good mm-hmm. players available for less. Because of COVID, there's far fewer teams who have the financial muscle they did. There's even teams like Inter who you could, there's very few Inter players you probably couldn't buy now. Mm. And there's a World Cup coming. So you have players who are on the fringes of their team that can't get in. Players like Aaron Ramsey, who would be a very easy loan move and whose wages we can afford to cover. Yeah, I, I wouldn't and be surprised could... if we make a couple of full-time signers like you sort of Tarkovsky... Or even is it Sula who's at Bayern mm. or Dortmund? And then you've got yeah. players like Ramsey available on loan. I think the pool of people who can who are looking for that level of player has got smaller financially. I'm hoping that there's I would a, also there's just, a, I'm just hoping f- that there's a couple of players who Emery has worked with over time. And yeah. really he, well, you, you, has a good relationship with them and, and mm. although they play uh, they might you say they play for Valencia, they're currently in the Champions League. They find the idea of going with him and coming to the Premier League appealing and they're able to to sort of be the messenger for whatever his system is. Yeah. And then well, we can Joe say, Willock is thanks for the Emery's. Thanks. Nice. Okay. All right. But yeah, he played with Joe Willock. An early application for the title of the podcast there. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I'm, no, I'm refusing it. It's too. It was too blatant. <laughs> well, no, I was just saying along those lines. He has managed Joe Willock before and sort of brought him through. So you would think his poor form at the start of the season it might be a way of getting more out of him. I think Willock's poor form is more down to his lack of fitness so far. His confidence does look shot. But there's there's players in that just... team where you think a decent manager can get a tune out of them. I would also say that um, more so than with a manager like Fonseca or like if we'd gone off and found like the next big thing from Germany, having a manager like Emery, if it does turn out to be Emery, 
does make the club more attractive to players than than a than a hipster choice because there's it's less of a gamble, it's less of a risk. Emery's a known quantity; he delivers success, so they know what kind of football he would demand of them. They know what kind of support he'd give to them. Does he really? I'm just just being classic sceptic. Is he? Are we not overstating his success beyond the Europa League? I Why don't think, I think he was associated with delivering success. I he mean, got he finished seventh in La Liga last season, right? Like it's, but I think he got the PSG job. He's worked with that top top level of player. It didn't yeah, go he's great. Very he's won the French title, which I mean, at PSG with is not PSG, the hardest thing in the world. I've won the French title with PSG. Yeah, but you're sort of saying, apart from all the silverware he won, what's he done? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a, but it's it's similar when just before um I think it was either just after or just before um, Benitez was announced, I think you asked the question like, is Benitez actually good? So I don't I don't begrudge you asking, is Unai Emery any good? Like really, is he is he good? I think I he's good. I, I think he's better than Steve Bruce. I just think there's there's often a sort of like a, a lauding of once our fan base or just football fans in general decide that someone is something it becomes big it's like once they decide someone's shit they're the shittest ever and once they decide that someone is like is rated it is, it is good they're like they're right up there with the very best i mean i, I mean i kind quite... of agree i think if we'd got frank lampard as manager a large part of the fan base we'd probably be doing the mental gymnastics ourselves would be going well he sort of developed that Chelsea team that's now the best team in Europe and he's going to be a success. You sort of, there's wild optimism regardless of who we get, but in the case of Emery, there's trophies to go with it. It's not, it's not like he's a hipster manager who's taken like a German second division team into the Bundesliga and it's a roll of the dice. You sort of think. I'm just being confused. I think I did quite cynically today. I looked at, a couple of Newcastle fan accounts who were going on about how incredible Emery is. And then I searched their Twitter handle and things that they'd said about Emery in the past. And they could find <laughs> busy, them. Busy day? of Emery a few years ago when he was asked for managers. So it's just, it's how your opinion changes on the basis of like, who you support yeah the only message well, I've heard about Emery today is from an Arsenal fan that I know who was just sort of laughing at the fact we were going to get Emery so I think there's scepticism there but I think Arsenal were a basket case when he was in charge I'm not sure what thankfully we are there. nothing like a basket case <laughs> we didn't have like Mesut Ozil who needs to be I think in a weird way we'll be more stable because he will have more control and sure, and you've, you've got to bear in mind it, it's it's similar to the um, the the situation that Moyes inherited, where like Wenger had been at Arsenal for fucking years, and the decline was was obvious. And then whoever comes in after Wenger was on a hiding to nothing. Yeah. And even in that, Emery still delivered. And you know, the one thing I wanted to mention is. Across his entire career, he's never had a win percentage lower than forty-six percent. I mean, and that's at various <laughs> okay. levels. Well, that's at various I was, levels. Wait, if I was like, "What is this stat going to be?" I don't know. That 
I don't know what that's done me. Like, I don't know, is that impressive or awful? For, yeah, for, yeah, for, for, 46% like, is really good. Okay. It is. It, it is exceptional. Put it this way, like, um, Steve Bruce's win percentage was like 25%. Well, I guess if he wins forty six percent of the remaining games of this season, if he is in charge, then that would I would imagine be enough to see us safe. My only yeah. slight he, worry he's not with managing PSG, Valencia, or yeah. Arsenal this time. My only be. slight worry is the kind of what we've seen with this ownership, both in terms of the build up to the takeover and getting rid of Bruce is that news sometimes seems to be leaked from inside there before it's actually concrete. There seems to be a bit of optimism coming from the inside sometimes. So although it's being briefed that it's a done deal, and I hope it is, and it hopefully they've learned their lesson, I wouldn't be hugely surprised if Emery turns us down and it is just being leaked from inside the club that they think he's going to sign. It looks like, I don't know, it looks like, there's a problem that will hopefully be ironed out over time. But at the moment, you've got a situation where there's three different voices, right? There's the Staveleys, there's the Rubens, and there's the Saudis. And they're all sort of, they haven't quite worked out who makes the decisions yet. Or Yeah, well, I think, I think they all think they make the decisions, yet. but the Saudis actually sign off the decisions. So it's... Nothing can be done quickly. I think. I think one thing that I've seen quite a lot of is is uh, from from the Newcastle fans is is a clamour for a, a decision to be made quickly, and I understand that. But I think there's also benefit to just taking a little time to make the right decision. And I know that you're not criticising for that. I think. I think the the thing the the thing that you were talking about, where you've got like conflicting releases and, and press releases or, or leaks to the press or something I think you're right, it's three different people or at least two different parties briefing different topics But I do think that situation caused a delay in sacking Steve Bruce, right? Yeah. I think most of us think Steve Bruce should have been sacked quicker Yeah. I think everybody did I think, I think the delay came because um, they hadn't had a face-to-face with the non-exec chairman and I think it was I think that you know that accelerated it when he came over for the um, for the Spurs game. I think that accelerated a lot of things. But they need to have that line of. Com- I think I said in the previous pod, they need to have that line of, co- of communication open. And if it's if it's via Stavely to, um, is it Al Al I'm probably butchering it. But the the non-exec chairman, if it's that, that needs to be working a lot faster. And if it ends up being like a director of football or a technical director, it's got to be working quicker because they've got to make quick decisions. Well, speaking of butchering, um, Thomas Burkheim says... <laughs> well, um, you're going to mention the Saudis. <laughs> yeah. Thomas Burkheim says, I'm a left-wing, ecologically-minded vegan who fears global warming, avoids taking the car in favour of trains and almost never flies. So the new owners stand for everything I'm against. It will be interesting to see how much I can put all of that out of my mind in the future. Now, we've sort of covered this extensively in a podcast a couple of podcasts ago, if you want to go back and listen to that. But um, I did think it was worth talking about something that really annoyed me this week, 
which was The Athletic put out a story about um, uh, a football fan who uh, supported Chelsea, had been at a Chelsea game, and has subsequently been imprisoned in Saudi Arabia as a dissident. And um, I, I, I'm not qualified to go deeply into the politics on that, but a lot, there was what I found a disconcerting amount of pushback on that from a certain section of the Newcastle fan base who just, who took offence that we were somehow being associated, Newcastle United was being associated with this bad things that Saudi Arabia did. And I just, my, my overwhelming thing is, yeah, take it. Like, continue supporting Newcastle. Mm. Absolutely. I have, I have decided to do the same. And maybe for you, you have no moral quandary on that. And that is a legitimate position. Um, but, like, it's going to keep happening and you just have to take it and don't slam journalists for doing journalism. And, yeah. like, talk, it really fucking angered me. I wish I could. Well, I've even seen, there, but... like, True Faith, who are very good fanzine. But anytime there's a story now about Qatar or any kind, there was like a golf investment thing into a Greg Norman cup from the Saudis. Every time that happens, they're tweeting that news story to at Miguel Delaney and other journalists who've been critical of the Saudis. Like they are critical of all the things that happen, but even if they're not, they're not going after Newcastle fans because of it. Their, their point isn't any less legitimate. So just fucking grow up. I think otherwise you go down a spiral of like no one is ever allowed to talk about any issue anywhere in the world ever until they've talked about every single one for an equal yeah. amount of time. It's, it's you can throw out a hypocrisy accusation all day long forever and never actually talk about any issues. Like if you don't want to talk about those issues, fine. It's not your responsibility as a being a football fan doesn't mean you have to spend half your time thinking about human rights in the Middle East. I understand if you don't have the bandwidth in your life to do that, but like, don't, it's not something to be angry about other people talking about that. And it's not an insult to you. It's only an insult to you. If you fucking take it as an insult or walk around waving the Saudi flag, it's not your it's, yeah. You can't, yeah, yeah. I you think, can't I think the thing that, that annoyed me good on it. Go, go on. Well, I was just going to say that the the thing that annoyed me most about it is that it was evident from the the quote tweets and the replies and the screen grabs. Nobody fucking read the article. That, that did my absolute head in because the entire piece is about this this poor bloke who is who's been imprisoned as a distant by the Saudi um, regime for speaking out and, and for wanting change and all the rest of it, you read the article, there is zero, zero criticism of Newcastle United or the fans. There is even a couple of paragraphs where the, the guy's brother says, like, I don't blame the Newcastle fans for being excited about this. I'm a football fan. You know, I'm a Chelsea fan, like, blah, blah, blah. He even says, it's not about the Newcastle fans. And you've got Newcastle fans going like, well, where were you when this was happening? It's like, Fuck off! Just, just calm down. You're not the victims in this in this story. Yeah. You're not the victims. Well, we can either claim it's got nothing to do with us, 
and let the criticism of the owners pass, or we can defend the owners and become complicit in sports washing. I choose to not defend the fucking murderers and dissident imprisoning despots. Thanks very much. You're throwing around accusations of hypocrisy all the time. Did all of these people keep quiet about Sports Direct? Did when, when people were complaining about Mike Ashley's business practices, were they saying, well, that's got nothing to do with us and it's shaming, it, you're blaming Newcastle fans and you're associating Newcastle United Football Club with Mike Ashley's business practices. Uh, did everyone go in and get upset about that? If you, read any, if you read any article in the Financial Times or the Times or the Telegraph or wherever you read your business news, whenever Sports Direct was, was, a, was a story, it was always Sports Direct um, owner, Mike Ashley, who also owns Newcastle United. Every, every article, they made a reference to it. Sure, and Newcastle fans, because they didn't want, like what he did to us from a, on the pitch, Mike Ashley got the blame for that. The journalists didn't get the blame for that. But I think and this ties into Newcastle. what we've talked about before. Like with the Spurs game, we talked about a lot of fans wanting their special day and everything to be how we imagine it. I think a lot of fans want their special takeover. We don't want the feel of it being tainted, but that's that's not how the world works. You can't just pretend the new owners are great. You can acknowledge, sure. you can ignore the fact, you can admit that's not a priority for me and I live a conflicted life, but you can't just pretend there's a witch hunt against these people who that's are otherwise decent. Make, make your also, own choices, but don't get like upset when people mention things that you don't also like hearing. They, they were like calling it like, gutter journalism and terrible journalism. Like, no, it's just journalism. That's yeah. what it is. Well, you look at the people at the minute who criticise journalists, you've got your sort of Trumps. So anyone who has a blanket disagreement with journalists is usually in the wrong and in some heavy form of denial. Yeah, I mean, M- M- Miguel Delaney, there, there, are, there are parts of his um, past where his current position appears hypocritical. Um, whether that's because he's changed his mind or whether he is hypocritical, it's by the by, what he's writing about the Saudis is important. What the the the, the piece in the, the Athletic is about is important. And that it mentions Newcastle United is is kind of it's kind of to be expected. The Saudis bought our club to sports wash their regime and diversify their portfolio. Part of sports washing is the fact that there's now a spotlight on them. And we're, for all they're going to bask in any reflected glory from us, we're going to be like covered in the reflected shadow from them. And that we're just going to have to either make peace with the fact that whenever we win something, we're going to hear, well, that would be, that's because you were bought by the Saudis. They've got lots of money because, and also they're horrible people. Fucking and take fine. it on the chin. Take it on the chin. Yeah. Don't be a fucking crybaby about it. Like you're the victim. But I think as um, well, pointing out hypocrisy online is not the smoking gun you think it is. It doesn't make the point that someone's making any less true. And it's usually coming from 
a hypocritical person who will have said in the past, because they didn't like Ashley, support the team, not the regime. But as soon as an owner comes along who's far worse but wants to invest in the club, it's defend the regime at all costs, regardless of the fucking truth of the matter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we'll bring it back to the football, and um, I'm sure that will things like this will come up every now and again on the Newcastle Natter, and it obviously excises all of us. We get passionate about it, but we do still care about the football. John Tilly says, with the potential to have Emery in before the weekend, how many points do you think we can pick up before the January transfer window opens and the squad tinkering can begin? Now, I'm not going to ask you to put like a number on it and how many points we can pick up, but our next game is against Brighton. and for all the good that Graham Potter is doing, we need to be looking at this as a potential for picking up points. Right, Paul? Yeah, I think so. We've not traditionally got a good record away at Brighton, but I think looking more generally at our games coming up, we've got a hard run at Christmas. We've got Brighton, Brentford, Arsenal, Norwich, Burnley, Leicester next. There's points to be had in there. I think if we're going to be staying up, we need to be getting at least three wins from that run of six games. That feels like a lot to ask for, considering what we've done so far this season. (laughs) I think Burnley and Norwich, uh, both at home, are games we should be winning. Brentford at home, we should be winning. Leicester and Arsenal away, less so. Brighton away, you would say par for that for us. is A point kind of like Palace away you'd say a point is not a bad result there I don't think Palace I'm sorry I'm just going to keep on saying this if we if I could sign any player in world football right now it would be Conor Gallagher I'm completely in love with Conor Gallagher I'm obsessed with him I would so love for him to play for my side I understand I I, I hope Jacob Murphy's not listening to this what a way to find out sorry I'm sorry (laughs) Colin Gallagher's doing it on the pitch, week in, week out. I love the guy. He's he's just I don't know. He's the player yeah. that and he's, he's the player that I sort of hoped. Oh no, Almiron's not a good comparison. I was gonna say I hoped Almiron might be, but it's so much, he's just a runner. He's just everywhere. He's just a runner, but yeah. actually does things with the ball. I just but a, I think as well, we talked about this is again going ahead on the assumption that we have. Emery as manager going forward Mm. that idea of us being more defensively solid I don't think it will be like initially under Rafa where we were just backs against the wall because we only had Hosselu up front I think Callum Wilson makes such a difference to what's achievable with this side if Wilson stays fit more than St Maximin because I think there's we might get onto this for the next game I think there's an argument for dropping St Maximin but I think if Wilson stays fit between now and Christmas, then I'm very confident we'll stay up. Okay, so let's also talk about the game. Go on. Yeah, okay. No, I was just going to very quickly say that in Almiron and Willick, we've got two two players that can carry the ball forwards, and that's not something that we had under Benitez until like until he brought in Almiron. So we won't be. I can't imagine we're going to be long ball as we were for much of it. Okay, so um, what do we think about the Brighton game? Paul, you just said something interesting. Why 
make the case for dropping St. Maxim? I think we need a team that defends as a team. He feels like a luxury player. I think there's certain games, you sort of, Burnley at home, Norwich at home, I can definitely see the argument for starting St. Maximin because he can do something special. But games where we're expected to defend, it's just, it mm. creates too many gaps. It drags too many other players out of position having to cover for him. And where you're looking to have a, a sort of solid defensive system as a base, it just falls apart when he's in the team. That's, I mean, I think that's the reason he basically gets played as a striker because you can't rely on him in any other position. I don't think that's something that can't necessarily be coached out of him. But I think games where we're looking for a point, we can't, against a better team, we can't really be relying on him. Individually, he's our best player and he's our most entertaining. But I think it's such a compromise relying on him. And he looks knackered already. I was going to say that I'd agree with, with that. Um, I would say that starting a more solid base against a Brighton side that um, has struggled to score. I mean, for all their, they're up in, where are they now? They're, they're in eighth position. Um, they, they haven't, they've only scored, we've scored as many goals as they have. So I think if we can be defensively more resolute, I think you, you start with a more solid team and then you bring on St. Maximin and, let him get a tired legs. Give yeah. him a bit of a break. Let him get a tired legs. Cause absolute carnage for the final half hour. And we might get ourselves back into the game or we might take it from a, a nil-nil to a to a one-nil win. It would be a big I'm sure it wouldn't be why he'd do it, but it would be a big statement if Emery in his first game in charge was to drop fan favourite St Maximin I'd imagine there'd be enough goodwill amongst the fan base that they would be making similar arguments to the arguments that you both made and could see the logic in it yeah I don't think it's something that he'd do in his first game though I think I think St Maximin probably will play but I think it's more if Jones was still in charge of this game for instance you would think it's an easier move to make in that way because you're basing it on the last few games. I think St. Maximum's our most dangerous player and you're sort of waiting to see what happens with the new manager bounce. So why wouldn't you pick him? I think one thing just very quickly is that if you were to take St. Maximum out of the starting lineup, where's the, where's the inspiration coming from? Because we're not a team that consistently creates chances outside of Alan St. Maximum. So it, 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 that, that begs the question, well, if you're not playing St. Maximum, where's the... Jacob Murphy. <laughs> well, I mean, our biggest, one of the league's biggest chance creators is Matt Ritchie. I don't think he should be getting in the team on current form yeah. because he's... How bad must Jacob... Uh, not, how bad must Jamal, Jamal Lewis. Lewis be in training if Matt Ritchie's still getting in? Yeah, Matt I think, not, I think it's not a Premier League player anymore, really, is he? He's, no. he's, sort of, he's a symbol of where we are as a squad. Um, so, should we let's make predictions on the game just for the sake of it? Uh, Dave, have you got a score for me? Uh, 1 1. Okay. Paul? I was going to go 1 1 as well. I'm going to go a 2 1 loss. Uh. 
Why? Because we haven't got Conor Gallagher. Yes. <laughs> I think every team in the Premier League who doesn't have Conor Gallagher will lose 2-1 this weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, I don't know. I just don't... I, I don't think we're there yet. I think we're, we're in terrible form. We're in disarray. We've got... Whoever comes in is not really going to have any time to do anything. And it is a really odd situation for the squad because the incentives are really weird, right? You, the, most of these players know that they're not going to be part of this I don't era. know. I don't know what if that's necessarily true. I think you're underestimating the optimism of most people. It's like in America, the amount of people who are against high taxation, even though they have no money because they assume they're going to be rich one day. I think it's the same with a lot of average footballers assume if their club gets bought out, they're going to go to the top with them because they're good enough. I think you have to have that level of confidence as a footballer. There'll be some, there'll be like, I would imagine Emil Kraft's agents starting to look around for where... Yeah, Mark Gillespie. Yeah. Yeah, there'll be be a few. But like, like Jamal Lascelles sticking around as our third goalkeeper when we were in the Champions League. That was the way that Mark Gillespie oh, grew with us in fifteen years' time. In that way, Richard Wright was for Man City. Yeah, and but look at say Isaac Hayden, who's not played well this season, but there's been enough there in the past. He he won't be thinking I'm going to get moved on necessarily. He'll be thinking this could unlock me as a player if I have the right people around me. I'm not inside the heads of all these players. I think Isaac Hayden well, we'll is, a player. He's a, he's a player who could be making a case in his own head that he could stick around for a little while. But I think a lot of these players have been battered by the last few years and and I have been told that they're a championship squad for a long time and I know that they're past their best in the case of, for example, Matt Ritchie. Yeah, I think, I, th- I, think well, the, I think there's a the, lot the of obvious players. ones. I think it would be um, Matt Ritchie, Kieran Clark, um, maybe Fernandez, John Joe um, Shelby, John Joe no, Shelby, John, no, John, John, John Joe Shelby. A hundred percent thinks he's going to be like Champions League with Newcastle United in in a couple of years. No, I think the he e- knows. the ego on that man. He a hundred percent. Dwight Gale thinks he's out the door, even though he's got a twenty-eight year contract. Like, but I think as well, they're few... all players that championship clubs would pay a bit of money for. I don't think it's a disaster. The reason they think that way as well is because they aren't good enough for Premier League teams. It's not because they've joined an. Amb- it's not because we're suddenly an ambitious team. Like they're not really good enough. Not many Premier League teams <laughs> will be looking to buy those players. It will yeah. be championship teams. So that's sort of they've just been given longer contracts above their level in most of those cases. Okay, so uh, let's wrap up there because, you know, a couple of months ago we were told to start doing shorter podcasts, but then (laughs) it all started happening and we went back to the long form. Uh, So I imagine this, you know, we're in a new era now where there is always lots to talk about. So... uh, We will try and get another podcast in next week. But in the meantime, thank you very much, Dave Watson. Thanks, Paul and Fergus. Interesting. Save there. (laughs) Yeah.
<laughs> Thank you, Paul Doolan and Dave Watson. <laughs> Thanks, Dave and Fergus. Great. And thank you to you, <laughs> the Newcastle Matter listener. And thank you for Steve Bruce for giving us the sound footing for where we are now. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> if you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.